Well, they finally got it, didn't they? This coach understood something very, very important. He understood that without a sense of identity, without these guys knowing who they are, then they could never realize a purpose together. That is so key, and it's really what Paul is talking about here in Philippians 1. Let's look at this passage, and let me outline for you five values, five principles that hold us together as God's church. First of all, the principle of thanksgiving. This is found in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul is revealing his pastor's heart. You almost have to be a pastor to really understand what he's talking about. He started many churches. And for some reason, he had a fondness and an affection for this particular church. I think partly because it was the first church, again, that was planted on the continent of Europe. And he had some unique experiences that are recorded in Acts chapter 16. So he has this fondness for this church. And as I mentioned last week, this church is sending a monetary gift to him while he's in prison. He's in prison when he's writing this letter. And they send a guy named Epaphroditus. He brings some money to him to support Paul and to try to help him. Philippi is 800 miles away from where Paul is currently. Paul is in Rome, 800 miles away. And this church, and you can imagine the travel back then, 2,000 years ago, this church sends a messenger to Paul while he's in prison. And it reminded him of the fondness and the affection and all the events that he had during his short time in Philippi. And here's the progression. The progression is this. Remembrance. And by the way, isn't it amazing that Paul was thinking about them? I think if I was in a situation, I'd been thinking about myself. (laughs) You know, he says he's praying for them. I would have been praying for myself. God, get me out of this mess, you know. Paul is thinking about them. He says, I often remember you. And so when he remembers, secondly, there's thanksgiving, which ultimately leads to joy. Thanksgiving is about a perspective of life. It's a perspective that Paul really got. It was the ability to see the good in each and every circumstance, to see the blessings rather than the bad things. Let me show you something. What is this? Most of you say it's a dot. Why would we define this as a dot? Why would we not say that this is a white poster? There's more white poster than there is a black dot. Right? This is often the way we see life. My point is, is that we see what we want to see. In fact, someone once said, we don't see life as it is, we see life as we are. We bring a perspective to life. Here's the secret that Paul understood. That joy comes through thanksgiving. It's amazing how in the New Testament those two accompany each other. Joy, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, joy. Paul, in many of his letters, is talking about the thanks that he has. Now, this is amazing for a man who, again, is in prison. And I want you to make a little note. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 10 and 11. You go there and you read, because in that passage, Paul lists his experiences of suffering. 
He talks about how he had been betrayed. He talks about how he had been shipwrecked. He talks about how he had been beaten three times with, the, with what the Jews would call the 40 lashes minus one. They didn't say 39 lashes. They said the 40 lashes minus one because 40 lashes meant death. And so the point of that was that they would take you to the brink of death. Paul experienced that beating three times. He had been in prison. He had been abandoned. He had been betrayed, he says, by his own countrymen. And at the end of that passage, he says, besides all that suffering, I have my concern and my burden for all the churches. (laughs) And yet here is a man who says, I thank God for you and pray with you with joy, with joy in my heart. The key point here is not only does he express his thanks to them, but he tells them that he thanks God for them. Paul is describing here something that is key and is a secret to what holds us together as a church and what really brings joy, and that is this thing of thanksgiving. What holds us together and what makes the difference in our lives is when we have a sense of gratitude. And let me ask you this. When was the last time you expressed gratitude to another person in your life, to another person in this church for what they've done, for how they've served? for the blessing they've been to you. When was the last time you did that? Or better yet, when was the last time you expressed thanks to God for them? That's what Paul does. And he just has a thanksgiving heart. The second principle is found in verse 4. That principle is prayer. Prayer. Let's read verse 4. It says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray. There's a lot of all and always in in there. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So prayer is the second thing that holds us together. It bound Paul's heart to this church, and it binds our hearts to one another when we pray for one another. When I pray for you, when you pray for me, there is a supernatural attraction that takes place. It's amazing. So we're praying for each other. And this invisible type of glue, this magnetism that happens when we pray for each other. And I'll tell you what happens. Two things really happen. Number one, it changes my perspective about the person that I'm praying for. It gets me inside of their life. It helps me to see what must be their circumstances. It puts me in their shoes. So I have an empathetic spirit for them. And I have a way of, of seeing life from their perspective a little bit when I pray for them. And that helps. It helps me to give love. It helps me to sympathize. But also, when I pray, when you pray for others, it invites God's power to be at work within us. His supernatural work that he is doing. I tell you, uh, I have been so blessed over the years when people have just said, Mike, I'm praying for you. And I know that they are. (laughs) Because there's a lot of people that say that. You know, we're we're fond of saying that and then maybe not even doing it. To know that people are praying for me, there's really no greater act of love when you think about it than to pray for another person. In the past few years, I've lost my father, my mother, and my younger brother. And the church has just ministered to me in amazing, amazing ways, primarily through prayer. And that makes a difference. And it's what brings us together. When you pray for another, 
It draws us together and it holds us together. Third, the third principle is the principle of partnership. The principle of partnership. Paul says, I always pray with joy because of what? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, from the first day that they received the gospel until that present day that Paul was speaking of. So what holds a church together, what holds the body of Christ together is a partnership. This has to do with the commitment that we have for one another. This has to do with volition. This has to do with will. This has to mean that we have each other's back, that we're here, that we're sticking, that we're not quitters. In fact, this word in verse 5 can be translated fellowship. It's the word koinonia. But it has a stronger use. In this setting, three times Paul uses that word in the book of Philippians. It's taken from a word in the New Testament that has a commercial or a business kind of connotation. Let's say, for instance, that you and somebody else were going to go into business, and let's say you wanted to be fishermen. Put it in the context of the New Testament. Many people were fishermen back then. And you were so committed to this business, this partnership, that you vested every resource that you had sold your home, you know, did whatever, pawned the kids, you know. You believed in what you were doing so much so, and you believed that it would be successful, so much so that you would invest yourself and your resources into this business. Sacrificing together to carry out a mission. That's what Paul is talking about. The church is God's business. And we are partners with him to accomplish a mission. One of the greatest joys, and this was Paul's joy, one of the greatest joys that you will experience in your life is if you will find that church home, and listen, this is not a commercial for the brook. You find that church home, whether it's this one or another Bible teaching church, you find that place where you belong and you wholeheartedly Commit yourself to it. And it will mean more to you in the long run than you'll ever, ever know. How many of you were able to actually see that Olympic hockey game way back in 1980? We're kind of dating ourselves a little bit. Yeah, you remember what it was like. It was pretty exciting, wasn't it? It was a pretty joyous experience. I mean, I'm tearing up watching these guys, you know. It was awesome. And Al Michaels saying, do you believe in miracles? counting down the clock, and they beat the Russians, and beating the Russians, right? And then they went on to beat Finland for the gold medal. It was very, very exciting. Think of all that excitement and all that joy. And then think about being on the ice. Can you imagine? Moving from being a spectator into the stands to a player on the field, it is a big decision. But it is one that will bring great joy in your life. See, God designed us for that. That's why we love movies like that. You know, we put ourselves in that situation and we kind of vicariously experience that moment. God designed us to experience team. He designed us to be a part of something that's bigger than us. And when we do, the result is joy. When we commit to it and we stick with it and we experience the ups and downs of what that means. And yet in the long term, 
with the suffering and the sacrifice and the work and the getting up early and the staying up late and the prayers and the giving and the serving. The result is joy. And I'm telling you, there's just nothing like it. Nothing like it. Being in the stands, watching it on TV, is a lot different than being on the ice. Big difference. My encouragement to you, and just unapologetically, is that the church is God's business and we should commit to partner with Him in it. And I know there's a risk involved with that. And I know there's some discomfort sometimes. And I know it means people. (laughs) But I'm telling you that in the long term, it will bring joy into your life. This church is built upon partnerships like that. I am so thankful that many, if not most of you, are prison partners. (laughs) You know, Paul had prison partners. Timothy and Silas, they were there in that prison with him, singing praises to God at midnight there in Philippi. I'm so thankful. There are people who are walking this path along with me. And the older I get, the, the more I just want to do two things. I want to just wear myself out building God's kingdom. And I want to do it with some people that I love. And I get to do that here. And my wife gets to do that here. And my kids get to do that here. And we're blessed because of that. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it hasn't been easy. Nothing that is of value is easy. Nothing that is worthwhile is easy. But it's worth it. Partnership, commitment, not being a spectator, being a participant, being a player on the field. And Paul was thankful for that with these people. And I just want to thank many of you for your partnership. And we don't say it often enough. Thank you. God bless you. The fourth thing is this, confidence. Confidence. Confidence in God's power. Look in verse 6. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, last week I mentioned several verses that you should memorize in the book of Philippians. There are many great ones. And in fact, it'd be really a shame for you to walk through this message series and not memorize some of these verses. Verse 6 is one of those verses. You've got to wrap your brain around it because it is one of those verses that will encourage you in times when you need it. Paul is talking about a confidence in God's power. Ultimately, he's saying our confidence does not reside in ourselves. Ultimately, our confidence lies in God who began something and who has promised that he will complete it. This really has two applications for you and me today. And I've done a lot of studying on this and tried to see which one is more fitting. And basically, both can apply here. I'm going to share with you two kind of churchy words, help you understand what these mean. The application, in one sense, is with respect to our salvation. Our salvation. So Paul could be saying here, listen, he who saved you in the past, is saving you in the present, and He will ultimately save you in the future, that salvation lasts forever. In theology circles, it's called the security of the believer. And it means this. Once you're saved, once you're a Christian, once you place your trust in Christ as Savior, that never, ever goes away. Never. 
In other words, you can't lose it. Once saved, always saved. And isn't that good news? The salvation that I experienced was a result of grace from God to me is what God brought to me. The whole process of that salvation is something that he also sustains. And so this is a word of encouragement for those of you who feel like, well, you know, I don't feel like I'm living the Christian life as I should. Maybe you have family members who maybe at one point in time in their life they said that they were Christians. They professed Christ as Savior. They experienced salvation. But they've gone off the path. They've gone away from the faith. Maybe you have children, a relative, a spouse of some kind. Here's the encouraging word for you, that if they were truly born again, if they experienced salvation, they may be wandering right now. And in fact, in that wandering, what God often does is disciplines them, disciplines us. I've experienced it. Hebrews chapter 10, the Bible talks about how God disciplines those he loves. He brings experiences into their life that help them to understand that he is still present, that he still loves them, that he still wants to relate to them and and have this relationship. Wake-up calls of sorts where God is trying to get their attention. That's what happens when we wander from Christ. But though our fellowship from God may be distant, our relationship with God never, ever changes because that relationship was not based upon my goodness or what I do or what I don't do. That relationship was based upon what God did for me through Jesus Christ. I'll give you an illustration. Say my son grows off, he goes to California, and I've kind of used this before, and he says, oh, that Mike cares. he's not my dad, and I don't want to listen to him, and I'm going to just disobey his rules, and you know, I don't care what he says. I don't want to have any kind of relationship with him. Is he still my son? Yes. Nothing changes that fact. So the relationship is still there. Never changes because he has been born into my family. No matter what he says, no matter what he does, that will never, ever change. But my fellowship with him and his fellowship with me is broken. And of course, one day I would pray that he would come back into that fellowship. So Paul is saying, listen, he who saved you He who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. You can count on it. The second application, though, is this. It's not salvation, but it's what we would call in theology sanctification. Sanctification. It means the process of becoming holy, the process of godliness, and that's a lifelong work. It begins at the point that we accept Christ as Savior, But with nurturing the relationship and growth and development and experiences and ups and downs, we become more Christ-like in our lives. So Paul is saying this, the work that God began in you of that Christ-like process, he will also complete. The point is, anything that God began, he will sustain and he will bring to completion. See, God is ultimately in control. And so by faith, we put our trust in God, not only for our salvation, but also for living the Christian life. And we trust that he will bring about in his time, the time that he has given us, that that time in God's economy is enough time. And that he is going to complete the work that he began in each and every one of us. So that kind of confidence, not within ourselves, but in God's power, 
that God is doing a work. It's not about us. It's not about me. But it's about God. That confidence is what brings us together because all of us now don't look to one another. We look to the God who is in control. We look to the God who is supernaturally empowering the body of Christ. We look to Him. And guess what? When we look to Him and we look to the mission that He has for us, all the other petty things and differences and liking the cowboys and all that fades away because it's not important. All the differences we have fade in comparison to the reason that we're together. (laughs) And that is God and His business and the work that He is doing. That holds us together. And then finally, what holds us together is affection. Verses 7 and 8. A commitment to affection. Boy, look at what Paul says. I can't imagine what he's feeling when he's writing these words. He says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains, and he was, or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Just beautiful. So Paul is saying, the relationship that I have with you, the one that you have with me, is an experience of love. The body of Christ, I'm telling you, should be a place of love. Now, it seems uh, a, a little odd to actually have to say that. But the body of Christ should be a place of love. It should be a place of grace. It should be a place where we give the benefit of the doubt should be a place that's free from gossip and backbiting. should be a place where we believe in each other. should be a place where we are maturing in love and we're giving to one another what none of us deserve. And that is the same love that God loved us with through Christ Jesus. To show love and grace and empathy. And to get inside somebody else's life, say, you know what, I don't understand what they did or why they did it or why they said that. But my accountability, my responsibility is to God and that is to love them. And when we do that, when we commit ourselves to that love, that will hold us together. Here at the Brook Church, we're not running a sprint, we're running a marathon. We've been running a marathon for about 15 years now. But I'm feeling more energy now than I ever have. And it's not because of the building. It's not because of the new place. It's not really even because of the many guests that we're really enjoying. It's it's not it. It's just that things uh, look a little different. And there's a renewing of life that's going on that's exciting. And it's something that we can experience here and that we can extend to other people. Now, I want to finish the story here from the standpoint of the movie and the true experience of this hockey team. So eventually they came together. They had some ups and downs still, but they came together. And as you know, they beat the Russians for the silver medal in the Olympics, and they eventually went on to beat Finland. And I want you to look at this experience as what was begun has now been completed for this group of guys.